Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you as always by Manscaped for all your male grooming needs. We want to say thank you to our listeners who continue to support the podcast by shopping online at manscaped.com and getting 20% off your entire order with the promo code SUNNYNKC. You guys have helped us fund this podcast and keep bringing you guys Chiefs content every week, so we appreciate that. You already know about the Lawnmower 3.0, the best hygiene tool for the modern man with patented skin safe technology that makes getting nicked a thing of the past. But they also have a nice nail kit called the Shears 2.0, which has tempered stainless steel tools, including slash tip tweezers, round point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. I'm a personal believer in these products, and if you're frustrated with your electric razors running out of batteries, becoming dull, catching your skin, you owe it to yourself to try out Manscaped. Just remember to use promo code SUNNYNKC to get 20% off your entire order. Manscaped, take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. So the stonk market. The stonk market. It's going nuts. I don't know uh, how closely or not closely you've been following it, but I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole these last few days. And let me tell you, it is berserk. There's a lot of concepts about the stock market that I'm not super familiar with, short selling and, and all the, you know, all the the ins and outs and the ways that they keep the stock market from the rest of us by coming up with code words for everything. But I gotta tell you, man, Reddit cracked it. And they figured out that there's this hedge fund that has all the all these short selling stocks in GameStop and they just decided to bankrupt a hedge fund and they basically turned the world upside down. I, I heard about this and I know very little of finance. Um, I'm almost 34 years old, so I should probably figure it out so that I someday can retire and be rich because that's all our aspiration. But I did see today that the this this has a, an impact on the Mets. I guess this yeah. is the hedge fund that the yeah. Mets owner owns. And right. I guess also he maybe owns the Hornets. So like by bankrupting Joe Q billionaire that owns this hedge fund, they're like, they're like really, they're really fucking some shit up. They are. They're they're going wild. And earlier today, um, the subreddit Wall Street Bets was temporarily on on lockdown and a bunch of people online were crying. I mean, I'm sure there's a the Venn diagram of people that were on Wall Street Bets and people that were locked out of the Donald when that subreddit was shut down sure. is, you know, there's probably a pretty heavy overlap. And so there's probably a lot of, uh, an o- little bit of overlap with the uh, the incels subreddit that was also banned. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe, sure. Sure. Maybe. And so there's, there's, there's probably a, a lot of it are in all categories. There's a lot of outcry about, you know, suppression and and big tech on the side of the corporate billionaires and all that stuff. But really at the end of the day, I think Reddit just um, flipped over Wall Street bets to private because there was a bunch of concern about about what was going on there. And I think they just wanted to kind of stem the tide a little bit, but it's been nuts and it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. It looks like they're going to now, what's hilarious to me is that these meme stocks are, are like defunct companies. So it's like GameStop and Nokia and, you know, Carnival Cruise Line and and Blockbuster. I actually don't even know if I saw Blockbuster, but I think that might have been a joke because I think they're actually no longer solvent. So uh, there, there are some Blockbuster stores, I think, that still exist in Alaska because I recently <laughs> Alaska went. Alaska doesn't count. I recently went to Alaska, but I think they're all privately owned. Like, I don't actually think. And in fact, I just Googled this. The last remaining Blockbuster stores in Alaska closed three years ago in 2018. So probably a joke on that one. Well, I'll tell you one stock that I am definitely going to short sell hard, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
Welcome in to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs. Find them on Twitter at SI Chiefs. And of course, our sponsor, Manscaped. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. Here with me, as always, is my man, Taylor Witt, who you can find on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. Ah, Austin, it's a beautiful thing, man. We started this two weeks after they won their last Super Bowl, and we're coming around. This is episode number 50, 5-0 of our wow. podcast. And that. with that, we have now reached our Super Bowl preview show, part one of two. Feels great. It does feel great. And we did drop an emergency podcast on Sunday night. If you didn't get a chance to catch that, definitely go make sure you download that. Listen to our 15 minutes of just kind of right off the cuff, you know, post Super Bowl AFC championship coital bliss. Uh, Just, you know, just enjoying the vibes, just uh, enjoying the sexual magic of being back to back AFC champions and going to the Super Bowl again. We got a great episode today. We're going to dive back into that game. We're going to do a little bit more of a recap that isn't just kind of us freaking out and geeking out about being in the Super Bowl again. We've got a great mailbag. We got some uh, good contributions this week. And then we're going to close it out, not so much with X's and O's. There will be time for that. We'll have an episode next week. We've got a great episode planned next week. It's rare that we plan things more than a couple of days in advance. But I will tell you, we are going to break down all the X's and O's from this game. We are going to do one of our patented segments that we haven't done in a really long time because it takes a lot of work to do. And that is a roast. We're going to roast the fuck out of tom brady it's gonna be amazing um but this episode instead of diving into the x's and o's taylor we're gonna draft super bowl narratives so we're just gonna take the 10 juiciest narrative narratives as chosen by you and me we're just gonna break down some of the storylines that go through those that's how we'll close out this show let's get to it we should probably start with just kind of leading up to the game Um, obviously we talked about this a little bit on Sunday, but, um, you know, the vibes going into this game were pretty good. We, we spoke two weeks ago about how the vibes going into the Cleveland game were a little, were a little ill, um, you know, kind of ill vibes, obviously Sammy didn't play Clyde Edwards, Hilaire didn't play, um, just, you know, there, there were some guys that were banged up, um, and Mike Remmers almost didn't play because he was sick the morning of the game. Just some ill vibes going into that game. Willie Gay, obviously, who's still out. This game was shaping up to be, a lot friendlier vibes and there was a lot of social media chatter, obviously a lot of people picking the bills in this game. Um, but the chiefs were missing Sammy Watkins. We cut a show on Wednesday last week where I predicted a massive Sammy double <laughs> revenge slash, you know, playoff Sammy game. And uh, he didn't, he didn't play. So. Uh, if you would allow me to also plug the Buffalo witty, not funny sports um, podcast that I went yeah, on where where I also predicted my X Factor. They're they're great guys. Uh, Matt over there does a good job, and and I went on last week. And um, if you guys want to check that out, that's at Witty Sports Seven One Six is their Twitter handle. And anyways, my X Factor for that game was also Sammy Watkins. I told him that I thought he was going to have a monster revenge game, and Ugh. that was about the only thing I missed on though. All the other stuff I was I do say so. Uh, pretty spot on about how that game would turn out but um but swing and a miss on sammy for sure so leading up to this game uh the chiefs injury situation obviously sammy watkins aside and willie gay aside who didn't play in this game uh this was shaping up to be a pretty much a full strength roster for the chiefs but we did you know we did have some apprehension about this game because the bills are a very good football team and certainly the first quarter of this game did nothing to quell those fears and you can go back and see the tweets 
uh, the receipts, the takes, they were really hopping in the first quarter after the Bills drove down, kicked a 51-yard field goal. And then after the Chiefs went, uh, I think, three and out, wasn't it? Um, yep. On yep. their opening drive on a dropped pass by Tyree Kill, which could have been a touchdown. The ensuing punt, or excuse me, by the Bills, when the Bills punted, uh, the Chiefs tried to feel it. McCole Hardman acting like a bozo, drops a punt, Bills score a touchdown one play later and go up nine to nothing after they miss, miss the extra point. So the first frame closes with the Chiefs driving, but down nine to nothing. And boy, Taylor, the takes were flying because unlike the Texans game, you know, the Texans, um, everybody expected them to win when they were up 24 to nothing because it's very hard to come <laughs> back from being down 24 to nothing. Right. But the takes this time around were, oh, well, the Chiefs can't sleepwalk through the first quarter of this game. This is the Bills. They won right. 13 games. They're an excellent football team. And my faith never wavered. It it can't waver anymore. It wavered in all three of the playoff games last year. I will admit it. There are, there are tweets. There are deleted tweets <laughs> out there. But – I was not concerned about losing this game, but I was very irritated after the first quarter. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Irritated. We were, um, we just like a comfortable, dominant game. Everybody likes that. And as soon as it starts out nine nothing, your thought isn't that the Chiefs are going to lose this game. It's that God damn it, the next three hours are going to are going to kind of be a little bit more stressful than yeah. the autumn. Yeah. Then oh, you know, sure. like like we are a better team than they are, and and you know, you line them up and play. 10 times, there are going to be a vast majority of them where the Chiefs probably win that game comfortably. I mean, they they were clearly the better team, but it starts off 9 nothing, and you think, well, all right, spot them, spot them two scores. That's kind of what the Chiefs do. No big deal, uh, but just a little bit annoying, yeah. But it wasn't annoying on like a, a pick six or something that really was like gut-wrenching. It was like, okay, McCole Hartman drops a fumble. We see that happen like four times a year. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not surprising. Um, but Fortunately, after the Bills, you know, they scored there on a short field on from the three, but they weren't really moving the ball, the Chiefs. They got down to the 33 on their first drive and kicked a really long Tyler Bass field goal. And then on their second one, you know, they converted one third down and then punted. So it wasn't it wasn't that the defense was looking bad, but um, the Chiefs needed to get it going. Yeah, and fortunately, in uh, what we in the biz would call a callback, the second quarter ended up being a callback to 2019 when the Chiefs uh, were an insanely dominant team in the second quarter of football games. I mentioned they were driving to lead off the second quarter, the second frame, and you knew that if they got an opportunity to get down into the red zone, that they would get McCall Hardman the ball. And in fact, if you've watched the the mic'd up segments and everything that's come out from this game, there was a several, there were several moments after he muffed that punt where multiple mm. people came over to him. Most notably Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes came over to him on the bench and said, look, man, you're going to make a play in this game. It's a long game. You know, keep your head up. Travis Kelsey said, what, what do we do when we face adversity? We punch, punch it in the, in the mouth. mouth. Yeah. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes said, look, man, you're going to make a play. We need you, you know, chin up and boy they get down into the red zone and they they throw a wide receiver screen to McCole Hardman which is not a play that we see from the Chiefs very often we haven't seen a lot of screens from them the last month or two and obviously a staple of the game plan but it obviously was it was very deliberate that they went to McCole Hardman and he scores a touchdown Chiefs are back to within two points and it's really amazing Taylor to think about having 
the talent to be able to do that. Like, yeah, they gave him the ball and got him a touchdown because they could. Like, they, <laughs> right. they're just like, yes. you know what? We've got a guy who just fucked up egregiously on special teams. And just because we were, were concerned about his mental state and his ego, we're just going to get him a touchdown. Like that's, that's just, we're just, he's going to, he's going to score for us because we think that that has a, a benefit to team morale and to the morale of that particular player. And not every team can do that. In fact, I would guess that there are very few teams in the NFL that can do that. Absolutely right. The difference between the chiefs and worse offenses, which is most slash all of them is that the chiefs were not concerned about if they would score a touchdown on that drive. They were concerned about who was going to score the touchdown. Like it was, it was just so, um, you know, they were they were toying with the Bills. They could have split Eric Fisher out on that play, and he would have caught that ball and scored. I mean, that the design was great. It was blocked up great. Kelsey absolutely sealed it, and McColl walked into the end zone, and it was just – it was such a team-first move. It was such a um, a family type of, you know, pick your brother up and stuff like that. And then, you know, obviously – so the Chiefs score, they cut it to – nine seven and then the defense after uh one first down by the bills forces another punt defense was locked in they were looking great there was a um josh allen intentional grounding where honey badger absolutely wrapped him up on third and seven and and anyway so the ball comes back and the very first play back to the chiefs after they force a quick um punt by the bills so they dial up McCole Hardman once again. They say, all right, not only are we going to get you that touchdown, maybe you're still feeling down on the sidelines. I don't know how they read it with him, but they said, all right, we're going to get you an, an end around just a little, just get your, get you involved in the game plan. And uh, not only did he get involved in the game plan, but he hit a home run there. He went for 50. It was once again, blocked beautifully downfield, um, both by the offensive lineman and by Travis Kelsey. They were, it was all, dialed up and you could just tell the chiefs offense was, you know, they're clicking, they're in high gear. They were, they knew that the, every point mattered. And it just was like the sleepwalking offense that we had seen in the regular season was nowhere to be found. These guys were on a mission. Yeah. And that, that actually is a good play to talk about because as with many of the other plays in this game, the chiefs disguised that with a little window dressing, they had some pre-snap motion and Dan Orlovsky, when he charted this game noted that the chiefs ran pre-snap or at the snap motion on 55 of their 64 snaps, in this <laughs> game, which is an 80 something percent rate. Awesome. And we talked about this earlier in the season, back when we were playing the Ravens in week three, little callback to that game preview, the chiefs at that point in time were, were kind of towards the middle of the pack in terms of the percentage of motion they were using on plays. And it was much lower than 80%. It was down at like 20%. Mm-hmm. The Ravens, I believe going into that game led the NFL and they were around 50%. So the, the chiefs ran motion on an outrageous number of plays in this game. And like you said, I mean, that just speaks to what the chiefs have been saving for the playoffs this entire time. And now in the AFC championship game with a trip to the Super Bowl on the line, they were dialing up, their best plays and the McCole Hardman, you know, 50 yard, uh, 50 yard gain, you know, this drive culminates with 15 yards, Travis Kelsey, and then a Daryl Williams run up the middle for six yards. And we got a we got a shout out Daryl Williams. Again, we obviously gave him some love after the Browns game, but man, I, I mean, he just, he's kind of come out of nowhere to be our, he's, he's our D Williams of playoff the D Williams. <laughs> yeah. He's our playoff D Williams. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl is uh he's a man. He, and it's the hard, 
hard fought runs, you know, like anybody in the Andy Reed offense can, you get them out in space, they're a good athlete or wherever they can make some stuff happen. But every now and then you just need a guy to be able to punch the defense in the mouth. And Darrow gets those hard earned yards. He got that six yard touchdown. He got hit about three yards into it and just dragged guys yeah. into the end zone. And that, that power running game, you know, some of it has to do with the line, but some of it has to do with the back and you just, it's an element that the chiefs, if they have that, if they can get in short yarded situations and have a back that they can trust to hand it off. Now, what the hell do you do on defense? Do you, do you defend the sprint outs and, and the Travis Kelsey little three yard comeback, or do you have to sell out for the run? It's just, they continue to put defenses in a bind time after time and game after game. And I just do not envy anyone trying to come up with a defensive game plan against this offense. It's just, it's impossible. They're, they're just so versatile and so loaded. Well, speaking of defensive game plans, we got to talk about how this game was going for the bills, because we heard a lot of talk coming into this game. In fact, the morning of the game, and I know that Patrick Mahomes saw this and I know that the chiefs players saw this. There was a graphic that was going around on ESPN, the worldwide leader in sports that gave it the advantage at number one wide receiver uh, to the Chiefs, or actually I think to no, the Bills, and the Bills. and quarterback yeah. to the Bills. And they gave what the they Chiefs said had we had a better head defense. coach and, and defense. Yeah. So they were saying that Josh Allen was a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. And obviously the Chiefs took that personally. But the <laughs> Chiefs defense, I think, also took that personally. I mean, they were bringing the heat in this game. We, we talked about this last week kind of in our game preview that you know the Chiefs were very successful blitzing Josh Allen as soon as we recorded that show last week I listened to I think it was Therese and Therese pointed out that he actually had one of the best pass ratings against the blitz all mm-hmm. year and I, I felt like hmm, well that was maybe a bad take by me but it actually wasn't a bad take Taylor because the Chiefs specifically were extremely effective blitzing Josh Allen I don't know what the other 15 teams that they played were doing <laughs> But the way that Steve Spagnuolo brought the heat on Josh Allen in this game and the first matchup, it just had him completely out of sorts. Well, you know what the difference was? That first matchup and this game were both big games. They were yep. both very important, and they were yep. both games that Josh Allen was not used to playing in. The very first one was the Bills' first Monday night game in like two decades. And yep. the second one was obviously the biggest game in Bills' franchise history in 30 years. And it just seemed that he wasn't ready for it. And it doesn't mean he won't be. It doesn't mean he's not capable of it. I still, this year, obviously sold me on Josh Allen. He's going to be good. He's fine. I mean, he, he will be fine. He's a very good quarterback. But it just was apparent that Patrick Mahomes has played in, this was Patrick Mahomes' seventh playoff game. And it was his third AFC championship game and he'd been to the Super Bowl, And, and, you know, this was small potatoes for Mahomes. He was thinking about next week, the entire game, I guarantee you. And it was just, Allen was shook. He was, he was off on some of his throws. He was making horrible decisions, dropping back when he was in trouble, instead of throwing it away or taking a sack, he tried to make a Mahomes play happen basically. And it never worked. He took 53 yards of sacks on four sacks. So he just kept getting into worse and worse trouble. And, you know, he wasn't involving his playmakers. Um, Diggs had 12 yards by halftime. And, you know, it it was just a very 
discombobulated game plan by the Bills offense. And you could tell that everything they were trying just wasn't working. And part of that, man, we got to talk about the secondary of the Chiefs. They yes. were, Romo used the phrase sticky secondary like a hundred times. But yeah, I mean, like a, a hundred thousand times. Yeah. But it was, it was apt. I mean, they were all over them. And they did not let these receivers get any separation whatsoever. The entire secondary played out of their minds uh, from all three safeties, Sorensen, Matthew and Thornhill, who has continued to absolutely skyrocket. Um, yes. You know, he's just been phenomenal since he's really come back to hundred percent. And, and the players of the game might've been Warden Breland. They were as on top of Diggs and Beasley and Brown as you can be. And they just absolutely shut their entire passing game down. And when you don't have a running game that the bills don't have, they had 17 yards from Devin Singletary and that was it. They, they, they had no offense. They had no answers. Well, and you left out the third cornerback who we've been talking ah, about a lot on the show. Legereus pro Sneed, football hall had, of famer, Legereus Need. He's my guy. Had, Yet another excellent game. But yeah, the the real story of this game was not uh, Matthew or Sorensen or those other guys. It was Juan Thornhill because this was probably the best game we've seen from him, certainly in the 2020 season. I mean, it takes a while to recover from the injury that he had. And there definitely were points earlier this year where, I mean, he got injured in week 17 last year, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not something that you come back from easily. He didn't have a full off season. And obviously with COVID, you know, he wasn't in the building as much as he would normally be to do rehab and things like that. And so this was really the first time that we got to see him back at what I would consider to be a hundred percent. He was making incredible plays in this game, almost had an interception early on in this game that ended up being just an incompletion, but it, it ended the drive. And he just, you know, he didn't get to play in the Super Bowl last year. He didn't get to play in any of the playoff games last year because he got hurt in week 17 against the Chargers. And I think he maybe wanted to get to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I think the way that he played, it was apparent from his play that he would like to play in a Super Bowl too, please. Yeah. Do you think there was a player more relieved on the Chiefs roster that they actually are going to run it back than Juan Thornhill? I mean, probably not. Like he, no, probably that, not. He was, I'm sure that was agony to watch his team as he was laid up after his injury, watch them go out there and ball out and win the Super Bowl. And I mean, yeah, so that was, you and can he tell was one of the only starter. I mean, he would have yeah. been really the only starter on last year's team that didn't play in the Super yeah, Bowl because exactly pretty much right. everybody else was healthy and, and ready to go. Yep. So that was definitely, um, you know, that was fun to see. It was fun to see Juan get back out there, fly around, make plays, you know, dominate <laughs> and, uh, that was um, that was apparent all night. It was just they they just couldn't. The Bills never got anything going. So after their 9-0 start, the Chiefs scored with Daryl Williams after the McCole Hardman touchdown to make it 14. Then the, the Bills go three and out after the Williams touchdown. They literally just couldn't get anything going. And the, the Chiefs take over with 831 left on the clock. And once again, they're just they're just automatic. It was a, um, a short third down conversion by Clyde. And then a Kelsey catch on third and six, which was one of Mahomes, you know, magician plays where he is absolutely almost wrapped up and he, he shakes the sack attempt and he throws a dime. It it reminded me and it reminded a lot of people I've seen this take of the throw in the Denver game in his first start where he's almost wrapped up. Yeah. And he got one to Bert. That was like, that was where you and I were like, Hmm, okay. Like that that was a cornerback blitz by Chris Harris. If memory serves, I think that was Chris Harris that was trying to take him down and and, he's just like, "Mm." 
And nah. he shrugged him off and he threw a laser without any, without stepping into the throw. That was where he showed off his arm. And he did the same thing here. He hit Kelsey on a crucial third down with, you know, with the momentum all in the Chiefs' side. And then the little short one to Tyreek Hill. This is not the one that, that Tyreek later takes a longer distance, but he ends up picking up 33 yards on what just kind of turns out to be, he just kind of finds him out on the right side, open in the zone. And Tyreek, when he turns that gear on, then it's just, man, some of those bills mic'd up. I'm sure you, yeah, yeah, I did. oh man, where they were just like that guy, that's the fastest guy that I've dude ever can run. Yeah. yeah. Fastest human being I've ever seen. And he's on another, another level or another gear or whatever his coach said, but yeah. So then it comes back down and, he um, homes hits Kelsey for another 17 yards. And you can tell the chiefs are just, they're just 11, 33, 17, just, just click, click, click. And then they got down uh, to the one yard. Oh, that was the, the 17 yard. Kelsey was where he tried to dunk from the free throw line where he was out. Yes. Of, you know, he was out of bounds and absolutely jumped up and would have brought the house down with an alley-oop if it were basketball, but instead he was out at the one and then Clyde knocks it, it in. It's insane, by the way, how close he was to actually getting it. <laughs> he was in there. Like, so I, insane. I just like, I, I don't understand. He jumped from like the pro- six. Professional athletes are ridiculous. They, they are actually, ridiculous. They actually are ridiculous. And it's, when he lands, I would have been like, I would die if I landed like that. Like he yeah, was trying right. to stretch the ball out and then he just slams into the ground and then he gets up like, woo! And like, it's just... <laughs> It was uh, Kelsey's something else, man. We'll we'll get to kind of at the end of this game what we think of he and Tyreek, but um, that was a huge play. And then Clyde knocks it in, and the Chiefs go up twenty-one nine, and it's just like it's party on. It's I mean the the Chiefs are winning this game. They had they already had it locked up before this, but now it was like with four fifteen left to go in the second quarter, this game is over. Yeah, I don't remember when I officially called this on Twitter, but it probably was around the time that the Chiefs scored their third touchdown here. Three straight touchdown drives. And frankly, it should have been four straight touchdown drives because Tyreek, again, on the drop on their only punt of the game on the first drive, he honestly could have broken that play as well. This was an interesting one and could be kind of a preview almost. We'll get into the X's and O's of the Super Bowl next week. Could be almost a little bit of a preview for how the Chiefs are going to attack the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers do have a better defensive line than the Bills do, but it was a lot of short stuff in this game and just a lot of quick throws into the middle, you know, into the the intermediate zones and the Chiefs relying on their playmakers, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill to make plays and make guys miss and just picking up chunk yardage. I mean, the longest throw of this game, in fact, I think the only throw over 30 yards for sure and might have been over 20 was yeah. that pass to Tyreek Hill on the first right. drive of the game and you know the rest of it was just perfect placement and putting guys in space and giving them the opportunity to make plays and so the Bills come down at the end of the half with the Chiefs leading by two scores and they kick a field goal to leave the Chiefs with the two score lead well that's not bad where they kick the field goal from uh, they kicked the field goal from the two yard line. Um, <laughs> yeah, they kicked it, kicked it fourth and goal from the two. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it, obviously the game felt over when the chiefs scored their third touchdown and they're up two scores, but when the bills decided they were going to kick and mind you, this was the second game of the day. We already kind of mentioned um, on Sunday when we were breaking down the show, the Packers, and their egregious field goal decision at Horrible. the end of the game. But man, this was almost as bad. Like you're on the two yard line, you're you're down, you're behind against Patrick Mahomes, and you're gonna kick a field goal from the it's two. It's twenty one to nine. Bad just 
I mean, then it makes it 21-12 at the half, which is, yeah. uh, I mean, you're still down two scores. What was the point of the field goal? It just it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, and we've talked about this too, but, you know, um, Sean McDermott said, I, I wanted points there. Okay. Yeah. That was his, that was his reasoning. Well, okay. let me just inform you, coach McDermott, when the chiefs have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback in the postseason this year, they have had 12 drives totaling mm-hmm. 57 points, mm-hmm. which is an average per drive of 4.75 points per offensive drive. Oh. So what McDermott was doing by kicking that field goal there was saying, we only want to go down 1.75 points from this exchange instead of, <laughs> I mean, you just can't, you can't settle for field goals. If you're kicking a long 50 yarder because you stalled on fourth and eight or whatever, like that's, that's an acceptable field goal. That's fine. But when you get into the red zone, if you're 20 and in and you're kicking a field goal, that's a loss. That is an absolute win for the chiefs. If they can force a short field goal and McDermott just didn't show and, and the other thing I think that helped here, the Chiefs, was that the Bills offense wasn't clicking. If this were, you know, 28-28 and it was fourth and goal at the two, he obviously would have gone for that. But he was shook. He, he His juggernaut offense that had been dusting everybody for eight, nine weeks in a row had nine points at halftime. And he was just thinking, shit, I need points here. But that's not going to get it done against the Chiefs. That's not the, the winning strategy. Um, I saw that they were the first team – to ever, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but to lose a championship game by more than two touchdowns and kick four field goals in that game. So oh, that, that just shows that they they weren't aggressive enough in these types of situations. And it started there on fourth and goal at the two. Uh, and, you know, the Chiefs got the ball back at the, at the start of the second half. So, like, they were already facing a nine-point deficit with Patrick Mahomes with the ball. Yeah, they I were just, literally about to hand the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. It's who, just who's averaging four point seven five points per drive. I, so, I would have been, you know. I would have been beside myself as a Bills fan. There, that was just egregious coaching. Yeah, it was. And so then, obviously, the Chiefs come out of half. They have a nice long field goal drive. Uh, Harrison Bucker with a forty-five yarder. He was sharp in this game for once. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we get the good Harrison next week. We had bad Harrison against the Browns. We had good Harrison against the Bills. Um, and then the Bills come down and they get to the Kansas City eight on their first drive out of half. Mm. And the Bills just never really. Before we get into their decision, which spoiler alert was to kick a twenty-seven <laughs> yard field goal from fourth and goal at the fourth three or three at fourth and three at the eight. Yeah. Excuse me. Um the Bills got this ball with ten forty-eight left in the third quarter, and they were trailing at that point. Let's twelve see. Yeah, they were tra- trailing by twelve points. So they're trailing two scores. Twenty-four. They have 10:48 left in the third quarter. This was a six-minute drive, and they got down to the Kansas City eight-yard line, and they kicked another field goal. And not only is the decision to kick a field goal at that point bad, but to take six minutes <laughs> off the clock yeah. when you're down two scores against the Chiefs and you have to give the ball back to the Chiefs, and then to kick a field goal. I mean, listen, if they'd gone for it both times, even mm-hmm. if they just convert on one, they still have more points. I mean, if you were talking about a 50-50 conversion rate, you still end up with more points right. if you hit on one. And obviously, if you hit on both, it's a game. It's it's a contest. But they didn't, they didn't do that. And they kicked the ball back to the Chiefs, still down two scores. And this, I think, was the play of the game. Second and 10, Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes throws a short pass to Tyreek Hill and 
as Mitch Holt has put it, the cheetah run will run you around the earth is is the call that he made on it. I mean, he just this was I've watched this play so many times. <laughs> and you know, I don't know, I don't know how enduring this play will be because it wasn't a you know, it wasn't a score. He didn't score. That's the only he didn't reason. score yeah. on it. But man, this was a this was vintage Tyreek Kill. This was an insane play. It was a lot like the Hill Mary play where it was it where it's like they don't see him. Like that's the only way I can describe how there aren't even tackle attempts that they miss. They literally don't even attempt to touch him. It's, it's like true. It, it's like he catches the ball and when he's running, he cuts at the perfect time. He's always behind somebody. He's never face off against somebody. He always will get behind the defender and he just when he cuts it back to the middle of the field, having watched Tyreek as many times as we've watched now, like you knew the moment he cuts it back in that that thing is going somewhere because he makes more business decisions stepping out of bounds than any other wide receiver I've ever seen, which is fine. He's a littler guy. And, and, you know, I mean, but when he decides that he wants to make a move inside, you're like, okay, he yeah. sees a lane. He see he smells blood. He's going for it. And, and it was just so funny that they looked like they were on skates. The entire defense did. And I don't honestly really know how they caught him other than I think two of the defenders just because yeah, they just was, pinned him. They just kind of ran to the corner before yeah. they, they didn't go after him. Really Micah Hyde and Teron Johnson just kind of made for a beeline for the corner of the end zone. And they happened to cut him off at the pass, but it was it was special. It was one of the reasons that Tyreek is such a game breaker and that his speed is so much just, it's a next level compared to other world-class speedsters. Like the, the NFL is full of some of the fastest dudes there are that can run in pads and he makes them all look silly. He's just, he's a Marvel. And between he and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, those three are as unstoppable of a trio maybe as the NFL's ever seen. Yeah. I mean, so Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey in this game combined for 290 yards mm. on 22 catches and Travis Kelsey had two receiving touchdowns in this game. I think we saw in this game kind of the evolution of Tyree Kill a little bit, you know, in the past he's had games where he can get a race, like they can take him, away um if the deep ball's not hitting and you know they they aren't using him underneath as much you know like he's had games in the past where he you know is held to you know a couple of catches and you know under 50 yards I think he's reached the point now where he's developed so much as a receiver that like he just you're not you can't take him away you can only hope to contain him and the bills could not do that either I, I mean he didn't he got 172 yards in this game and the longest pass he caught in the air was probably 10 yards down the field sure I mean it his ability after the catch is just so insane it, it's just it's unbelievable there was a, a tweet going around um before the game last week that was showing Tyreek Hill uh, run highlights and Warren Sharp, uh, I remember last year had tweeted that Tyreek Hill is the best running back in NFL yes. history. Yes. And it's true. It like is. he's he's so dangerous with the ball in his hands. Like you forget sometimes when he's catching passes deep down the field and making contested catches, which he's amazing at. Sometimes you just forget that like if you just give him the ball at the line of scrimmage and let him go, like he's he's outrageous. He's 
He's the best wide receiver in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, and it's kind of gotten to the point now where, you know, it used to be that Chiefs fans would argue that he was the best wide receiver in the NFL, and everyone else would, oh, Julio and, oh, Michael Thomas and and all that stuff. And, and I don't know if it's just because the Chiefs are one of the last two remaining teams, and now all the focus kind of turns to them, but I've definitely seen a lot more momentum for, oh, man, Ty- Tyreek Hill might be the best wide receiver in, in the NFL. Sure. And, and of course it's time for them to catch up to that because that's something that we've seen. I have never f- seen the chiefs face a wide receiver that is as dangerous as what Tyree kill can do. I've just never seen it. And, and I don't care how studly these other wide receivers are, you know, the six, five guys that are, you know, the big tall guys were like, they're just not, they, they aren't as capable of turning the game around in a moment's notice the way the cheat is. And it, it's just, it frustrates me because people seem to think that a team can't have the best quarterback and the best wide receiver and the best tight end. They think that if one of them exists, they, yep. they exist and they create the others, you know? So, so it's either Mahomes is the best quarterback and the other dudes are just there because Mahomes is throwing them or what you more often see is that the other dudes, Tyreek and Travis are so good at their job that anybody could step in to the chiefs offense. And it would look exactly like this when obviously we know that it's just that they're all three, the best at their position. And when you have three guys that are as great as that, and you put them all on the same team, you're going to go to Super Bowls. You're going to do. You're going to win 14 out of 15 games. You're going to do everything that this team has done. It's not because one of them is carrying the others. It's because they're all amplifying each other's skill set. And and then you add on Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid and their scheming and their. You know, like that's the other thing is people. Well, in in that scheme, of course, anybody could could look good. Sure. No, it's because they're all the best. And when they're all the best, it's just it's hard for people to kind of accept that reality. That is the reality, though, Taylor. And as we kind of close this game out so we can get into our mailbag segment, I mean, this this was like every single time the Chiefs scored in this game, including the first score when they were still down by two points, it felt like the game was over. Yeah, and for sure. This one this one felt like the game was super over, and then it was like mega. I like I, I actually did tweet like game over like six different ways, <laughs> like seven different times. Just like this was – this put the Chiefs up by 16. They ended up winning the game. By 14, this was their biggest win in two months, two since and a half November months. November 1st, almost three months. Yeah, almost three months since the Jets game on November 1st. This was the Chiefs' first win by multiple scores since the Jets game. They win by two touchdowns. It wasn't even really that close. I guess before we jump into our mailbag and kind of start talking about Super Bowl narratives, what are kind of your closing thoughts on this game? I, I do want to talk briefly about kind of the extracurricular activity that happened in the fourth sure. quarter. Uh, obviously the, the bills got, uh, got very chippy. Josh Allen threw a football at somebody's head. Uh, the benches kind of cleared a little bit and Patrick Mahomes had to kind of hold some guys back, including Tyree kill. Uh, what, what, what were your thoughts kind of closing this game out? Well, there were also um, the TV broadcast only showed kind of the second half of a Chris Jones altercation where he took a swipe at um, a Bills offensive lineman. I forget who, but um, it, upon review, that one also kind of looked like the guy was getting up and jabbing Chris Jones in the side. He, he looked like he was, you know, kind of trying to draw a penalty. And so Bills fans – see Chris Jones take a swipe and they see all of our um, DBs 
all over their wide receivers and they think that every single play should be called for a hold. And, and honestly, like we've watched this DB, DB group for a while now and they can yeah. be holdy. They can get hands. Yeah, they, they can be grabby. And, sure. and I didn't see that this game. I did not see many plays where the ball goes out and I just felt like all they could do was hold the guy or else to prevent him from scoring. Most of the time the ball comes out and the DBs were in a better position to make a play on the ball than the wide receivers were. And that was just, that was the sticky coverage. So so from a Bills perspective, they were very frustrated that the Chiefs seemed to be the more physical team. They seemed to beat them yeah. up. And Josh Allen, who was already down and already knew by that point, you know, it was the game was well in hand and he knew he was going to lose this game. And he lost his cool. He got sacked. He was in the grasp. The whistle blows. And then um, who was it that came in to clean it up? Uh, was it? K pass. Um, I forget, but it was, Oh, it was Okafor. It was Okafor. That's right. So Alex Okafor comes in and tries to clean up a sack that had just been blown dead from Allen being in the grasp. He goes to the ground and Allen who had done this at Wyoming when he was in college, when he got sacked threw the ball at his head. And so then Okafor gets up and, and lets him know like, all right, you can throw the ball in my head, dude, but we just beat your ass. And then, you know, the, the team started fighting. So, I don't know if this is much of a, a rivalry in the making or, or any of that stuff, because I don't know how for real the, the bills or any other AFC team, I don't know who's going to continue to be there against the chiefs. All I know is yeah. the chiefs are going to be on one side of it and it could be, you know, the Ravens again, and it could be Deshaun Watson going to a new team and being good. And it could be Joe Burrow or, or Trevor Lawrence or whoever the case may be. But I know that the other team is going to be the chiefs. And if the bills want to try and be the, the Peyton Manning to the chiefs, Tom Brady or whatever, the bills are going to have to win some important games. And until they do that, they're just another team. So I, they were frustrated, but I would be frustrated too, because the chiefs were clearly the better team from start to finish. Yep, no question about it, and that's why the Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl, and the Buffalo Bills are going home. See you later, Taylor. Let's talk. Let's talk mailbag here for a minute. Let's uh, let's get into some of these questions. As always, we appreciate our loyal listeners for sending us some questions. We got one here to lead off from our man Justin Orell, or as I like to call him, at Justin Rorell. <laughs> Kaka! Kaka! Question for the pod: How can the Chiefs turn it on off so easily? Are they really just not opening the playbook until the playoffs? Is it different for each unit? It seems like the offense can just decide to click whenever, but what about the defense and special teams? Well, it doesn't seem like the special teams can <laughs> choose to click ever. <laughs> like they, they just don't have an on switch uh right now they they have been inconsistent but they they haven't magically been better in the playoffs uh in fact they've been still pretty pretty bad at the playoffs. i would say their switch is broken or not broken yeah it's not on or off it's like they're either serviceable or they're just a complete disaster right yes exactly and in in all phases too i mean it's kicks it's returns it's they're pretty good at at Covering coverage returns. yeah coverage yep. is good they're pretty good at coverage even even the punt coverage just downing stuff that's all been pretty yeah. good um yeah but but what do you think taylor i mean just the chiefs being able to turn it on and off i do think uh, with respect to the offense some of that is play calling and play selection we know andy reed saves stuff for the playoffs and has the luxury to be able to do that this yeah. is something that you and i have talked about long before we ever had a podcast but Having Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and the weapons that the Chiefs have gives them the luxury to not have to show their whole playbook. You know, yep. one of the old narratives on Andy Reid was, you know, the the league would figure out his offense or his wrinkles by week five. 
well, that's because he needed to invent a new offense every year to make Alex Smith, you know, love Alex, but, you know, a quarterback with a limited skill set to make him effective, he had to kind of constantly reinvent his offense. And with Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have to do that. So he has the luxury, just like he had the luxury of feeding McCole Hardman a 50-yard gain and a, a touchdown because he made a bad play on special teams. He has the luxury of just not using his whole playbook. I think yep. that's really hard for teams that aren't the Chiefs to grasp that that's a thing. Like I, I've seen in the wake of the Bills game, a, a lot of people sort of like surprised that wow, the Chiefs can actually just turn it on and off. Like that's that's possible for a football team to do. But it just, it doesn't, I mean, it's not, was it a surprise to you? Well, there are two points I want to make. Number one is about the playbook. I do think that it is extremely important for Andy Reid to be one step ahead of the defense he's going against. I think that's that's how he's built his career and very successfully at that. And one of the ways you stay ahead of him is you throw stuff out there that they haven't seen, right? That's, that's easy. Yep. And you're just going to run out of bullets if you throw, if you just continue to throw out new plays every single game. And if you just go balls to the wall for 60 minutes, every single, you're just going to, you're going to run out of plays, even Andy. So I think he's discovered that if he runs a, I'm not going to call it a vanilla offense because the chief's offense with those players is never going to be vanilla. But if he doesn't pull out the special tricks, then he's still going to be extremely competitive, probably win most of the games he plays. And then when the going gets tough and when it's the most important games and when you don't have the rest of the season, when it's just, when it's the playoffs, basically, he can then crank it up. And so that's, that's the play calling. I do think that's happening. And I do think that that's apparent that Andy saves some of those and, and it works. I mean, that's obviously it worked last year and it looks like it's working this year. Uh, But the other side of this is from a player perspective and obviously you and I have never been world-class NFL athletes but mm, alas but I don't think that they're sitting around going like man I don't really want to try very much like I don't think we're I don't think we need to score here what I think it is is it's more of a fight or flight type of like a like an instinct like sure you know their adrenaline and their their focus and their you know there's just something about back against against the wall that some athletes respond better to and some of them respond worse to and I think the Chiefs have a collection of guys that when the going gets tough they get going and and it doesn't mean that they're turning it on and turning it off it means that when the circumstances require them to be great they step up to the challenge and no one more so than Mahomes we've seen that from his third down EPA and efficiency and all that stuff to trailing to, you know, yeah, playoff game winning drive in his it, first start ever. Exactly. To playoff games to any time it's required of him to be great. He has absolutely stepped up and been great. And you just can't really, you can't have that instinct firing a hundred percent of the time. Your, your body's not capable of that type of response. So you know, people criticize the Chiefs for turning it on and turning it off. But what I really think it is, is other teams don't know how to turn it on. It's not that the Chiefs yes. don't, you know, they choose to turn it off. It's that other teams go 16 games without turning it on. And yes. the Chiefs know, you know, they have the ability to do it. And it's just, it's a blessing to be able to watch that offense when they need to score because it's just unstoppable. Yeah, the only times they've stopped 
themselves. I mean, the only times they've been stopped this postseason are when they've stopped themselves. I do want to make one other quick point there, since he did ask specifically about the defense. I think oh, yeah. the defense is is a, a similar situation. Like, I, I think the Chiefs are. Steve Spagnuolo is very game plan specific. I think that's been true of his entire career. You know, he kind of made his name in 2007 in the 2007 Super Bowl against the 18 and 0 Patriots. You know, the unstoppable highest scoring offense in league history Patriots that he held 14 points. You know, the Giants didn't hold every team they played that year to 14 points. And in fact, they played the Patriots in week 17 of that year. And I think it was 35, 32, maybe the Patriots beat them obviously to go 16 and in the regular season. Mm-hmm. But I think just like Andy and just like the players, I think Steve Spagnuolo gets up for big games. And I think he's got a great, uh, a great group of coaches around him. And they obviously came up with, they, they had a very specific plan in this game. They knew that they could play good coverage. Like they knew they had the personnel to ma- match up in man coverage on uh, the guys that they were going to man up on and they knew that they could bring pressure and a lot of it was delayed pressure I mean they were bringing delayed blitzes in this game Mm -hmm. they just knew that they could speed Josh Allen up and make him do stupid shit and they (laughs) did and I mean really like there's not a single playoff game that the Chiefs have played under Steve Spagnuolo where the defense like hasn't looked like they really know what they're doing and they have a really clear plan I mean I guess you could say the first three quarters Texans. of the Super Bowl. Uh, and even in the Texans game, I mean, that was really, Oh, that was special team. teams. No, you're right. You're totally but, right. But I mean, even in the Super Bowl, which the first three quarters, I mean, the, the 49ers were getting chunks of yardage. They were moving the ball. You know, they still only scored 20, 20 points in that game. Mm-hmm. And when the chiefs needed a stop at the end of the game, they got their first three and out of the game, you know, when the chiefs were down three and needed to get the ball back to take the lead. You know, and then when they had the four point lead, they were able to get, you know, a turnover and get the ball back so that the Chiefs could close the game out. I I just think that the I think that the coaching staff is really aware of what the big goal is, and that's to win the last game of the season. And they have an opportunity to do that again. Yep. Yeah, it's it's really special. They they have the exact makeup that requires to win a Super Bowl, and we're going to find out in uh, not too long if they're going to do it one more time. So thanks for the question, Justin. Appreciate you as always. Our next one comes from one of our favorite uh, handles, and uh, this is Jack Kelly at Big Hand Lawyer. Ka-ka! Ka-ka! And he said, question for the pod, hypothetical situation. The NFL increases to a 17-game season. That part's not hypothetical. But players are only allowed to play in 16 of the 17 games. How do you strategize this scenario? Do you pick one game to be your throwaway, or do you rotate your starters? Absolutely great question. Very fascinating. Something that was floated as a potential solution for the 17th game. And I know you and I have talked um, off the air about you know some different strategies here and stuff like that. Where do you land on how you would handle it as a coach? Well, I, I, I mean, the big one is your quarterback. If Patrick Mahomes can only play 16 out of 17 games, you probably want to strategize around that. I mean, I think rotating your starters makes some sense. And obviously you have to, you have to be able to play a roster. I mean, we saw the chiefs sit their starters in week 17, but they still had to play some guys. You don't have an infinite roster to draw from. So you're always going to have guys that are getting significant snaps even when your starters are resting. I I mean, if it was a situation where you had to have a player inactive one out of 17 games, I would be really tempted if I were the chiefs to just put it off until the end of the season. And 
essentially bank on not needing your players in week 17 and giving a bunch of guys the game off. Now, obviously the risk to that strategy would be if God forbid you actually needed to win the last game of the season. Now, suddenly you're stuck complying with this rule and you've got a bench Patrick Mahomes and you have to go win, you know, a game to win the one seat or something, you know, with Chad Henney or whoever it would be Matt Moore. I, I think though, with the chiefs being as good as they are and, you know, even if it ended up being the difference between a one seed and a buy and, and not the one seed, I still think it's probably, I think that would be the strategy that I would lean towards. I agree with that. And I think the, what you have to break it down with is that, you know, you would then be playing 16 previous games with all, with everybody, with all your bullets, you with would. all your studs, you would be going up against certain teams that would not be playing their starters for, That's true. you know, for, for part, portions of that game. And, at the end of the day, if you can't go 16 games and position yourself to where, you know, you don't need that 17th game, then you probably aren't good enough to at least be making a ton of noise in the playoffs anyway. And so if you're, you know, if you need it to get to the playoffs for then, you know, your previous 16 games with all of your starters, and it, it wasn't good enough. And, and if it was good enough, and if the chiefs went out there with their first 16 games and they, you know, blew a bunch of people away and went 14 and, two or whatever, then yeah, then you did it because you had all your best players for the first 16 and you would sit 17. So I did originally think that it might be beneficial to pick the worst opponent and just pick Hmm, that as your, which is really the only other one I think I would entertain. But at the end of the day, I like going 16 games and knowing what you, you know, like just putting your best foot forward for the first 16 and then resting week 17. You also could use it as kind of a mini playoff buy, even though it's a little bit forced, but um, I, I think 17 is the right call. But if, if let's say the chiefs were playing the Jags in week nine, and I was deciding between resting my starters that game or, or waiting till week 17. And I felt pretty good if the chiefs were eight and one or something. I mean, I, I would, be pretty tempted there, but that's the only other strategy I would be tempted with. Sure. It's an interesting hypothetical. We appreciate the question, Jack Kelly. We got one from our man, Jordan Scarron. I know that Andrew Luck's last game was against KC, and I recall a narrative about Mahomes retiring other players. You remember all the players that he has retired, and if you had to guess the next five players that Mahomes will retire, who would they be? We talked about this before we started recording, and I, Andrew Luck is the only one that I can for sure remember it feels like i'm missing an obvious one so definitely blow us up on twitter shoot us a dm to tell us what dumbasses we are for not remembering what other players Mahomes has retired but the next five players that he will retire i mean there's an obvious one and it's tom brady because he's old as fuck and tom and patrick Mahomes is about to beat him in the super bowl i've got some other names on this list taylor listen who would be so you know the most obvious candidates for this are question are, are players that are already close to retiring and mm-hmm. they play Mahomes and they lose to him. They're like, shit, I better just hang it up because I'm getting worse and he's getting better. Uh-huh. And there's just no chance for me. If I can't beat him now, I'll never be able to do it. Roethlisberger, Rivers, Rogers, those guys. Yeah. Rivers just retired anyway. Oh yeah. I mean, does. He, was, he was also in the AFC. Ben, Ben Roethlisberger might not make it. Drew Brees, you know, Drew Brees, we played this year. Uh, he didn't retire after the game, but you know, I, I mean, we probably broke him, right? <laughs> sure. Um, listen, the guys that are younger, the the guys that aren't in their late thirties that Mahomes is going to retire, uh, they're going to be guys that that just understand that they have to hang it up 
I mean, even if they're in their 30s, you know, they just can't get past Patrick Mahomes. So the obvious candidate for me is Derek Carr. Listen, <laughs> he's never gonna he's never gonna win the division with Patrick Mahomes. He tried, he failed. Yeah. He's never gonna make it. Derek Carr, uh, another division mate of Patrick Mahomes, Drew Locke. Drew Locke is not <laughs> a good quarterback. He's young. He he's he was just drafted a couple of years ago. Hey man, everybody wants to retire young, right? Everybody wants to retire young. He's made a lot of money as a second round pick. I think his family is pretty well off. You know, like yeah, why? No shame why, there. Why do it? Why subject yourself to it? You know, <laughs> like are, are you gonna are you gonna go against Patrick Mahomes and lose twice a year for ten years? Come on, that's nobody wants to do that. I do think of the older quarterback group. You know, Aaron Rodgers actually is a pretty interesting one because he'll he's thirty seven and he'll play next year. We know he will for sure, and. The Chiefs will play them next year, we think, because of the the, first, the one seed versus one seed situation. And so, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to call it quits after uh, losing a regular season game to Patrick Mahomes. But, man, if he made it to the Super Bowl next year and and Pat beat him, maybe, maybe. Um, I've got one more in here, another young guy, uh, a guy that just cannot possibly beat Patrick Mahomes, never has, never will. That's ah, Lamar Jackson. Lamar, yeah, of course. Lamar is going to get a huge payday here. He's probably going to make, you know, two, $300 million. But you know what? I think um, after Pat beats him again next year, do we play the Ravens next year? I actually don't think that we do because they didn't win no. their division. Correct. So uh, we rotate we'll probably... off of the NFC North and next year, I believe it's the NFC or sorry, the AFC South, I think is the. Yeah, I think that's I think right. So. so we have to play the, or we have to play Lamar in the playoffs would, would have to be how this one would have to come about next year. If, if Pat's going to retire him next year at the ripe old age of 24, uh, <laughs> Lamar is going to have to get back to the playoffs, which is possible. And then he's going to have to play Patrick Mahomes, which, you know, we, oh, we yeah. know how playoff Lamar goes. You know what? Know no, the AFC goes. North is next year because his first year starting in 2018 was the AFC North. The That's Pittsburgh right. game right. And, and all that. And so we just played we just played the South last year. We did. So that's gonna cycle back around and and so so Lamar will get two more shots or one more shot at least at Mahomes next year. And if that doesn't happen, poor guy. I mean, just you know, what can you do? He's gonna ha- he's gonna hang him up. That's what I'm saying. He's I gonna mean, hang him up. There's nowhere to go. Hang up his running shoes. And then the last one that we've got is from another loyal bird of war, Mr. B. M. Bear himself at McSwag Anulti. And he asked us, it's a great question. I I thought about this one a lot. He said, could the 2020 Chiefs beat the 2019 Chiefs? So the first thing, obviously, if you're taking the question at face value, yes, the 2020 Chiefs could beat anybody. So short answer there is yes. But if you want to really talk about the matchups, this is something that uh, I tweeted out when he asked it. And then I'm just going to go ahead and double dip and use this content again for the pod. As I pointed out in the tweet. Sure. And you're going to like it again. You will enjoy it again. This is how it works. So uh, you start off, you just take the position groups. And so in the offensive line, Austin Ryder and Stefan Wisniewski are on both lines, but the big man, we didn't even talk about losing Eric Fisher in the bills game, but obviously the ruptured Achilles for Eric Fisher is gigantic. And it is, is. And we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about it with the X's and O's breakdown, but uh, fish Mitch and LDT were obviously big, big, big differences between those two lines advantage 2019 on that one, the defensive line, Mike Dana and Tashawn Wharton and Alex Okafor were all big contributors in 2020. And um, Okafor was gone for the year last year. And so that was, there was really no additions 
or all additions to the line in 2020, there were really no big subtractions. So that's a huge win for 2020 on the defensive line side of the ball. The skill players, you know, Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, Hardman, D-Rob on both teams. Last year, Damian and Sammy. This year, I don't even know if I could count Samuel, although he will be playing in the Super Bowl, but Clyde and Daryl have stepped in very admirably at times. Um, I'm going to go with 2020 in that situation, and I feel like it's just – it's pretty close, though. Uh, yeah, I like, I, I like the year of experience. You know, Mahomes, in that case, I would rather take 2020 Mahomes than 2019 Mahomes. He's been better this year. That. And yeah. uh, the secondary, Breland Ward – Dan, Honey Badger, Fenton, all those guys were on both teams, but 2019 did have Fuller and he was, he kind of rotated over from corner to safety towards the end of the year and 2020 counters with a healthy one Thornhill, as we just talked about and future NFL hall of famer, Legereus Sneed is how mm-hmm. I introduce yep. him at all the times. Yep. 2020 wins that one just because the safety group is markedly better in 2020. The linebacker group is a pit of despair. It is really, really bad last year and really, really bad this year. Reggie Ragland is gone. If Willie Gay were healthy and playing and and contributing the way that uh, we kind of expected him to at the beginning of the year, I would say that would give the edge to 2020. But, man, they're using Ben Neiman way more this year, and it's not working out well. And, And fortunately, they haven't really been playing a ton of linebackers, so it doesn't really bite them too much. But I'll call that one for 2019. I still feel like Reggie Ragland was a pretty good linebacker for the majority of the year last year. Yeah, he was he was definitely better than better, that's has ever been or yeah, ever will be. Or so ever will be. There is that. Uh, there is the the kind of X factor, intangible factor of being a champion. The 2020 squad, they know they're champs. They've got the swagger. They've got the the experience of that you know kind of big game. Uh, I, I would think that would make them more confident, but maybe that would make 2019 squad a little bit hungrier because they hadn't been there. Kind of hard to mm-hmm. say, but yep. you know, it's that you could kind of see both sides of that coin. Um, at the end of the day though, I think Mahomes is the big difference from last year to this year. I think he's much more just precise and I mean, hard to say, cause he was obviously still himself and incredible in 2019 and the Super Bowl MVP and all that stuff. But he kind of had a stunted year with the injury halfway through and coming back and all that stuff. And, and he was marvelous with the interception this year, the interception rate. And so I just think that um, I give the edge to the 2020 crew because of that. I concur. I would also take the 2020 chiefs. I think the secondary on the balance is a little bit better. I think Mahomes is better. I think the, while they certainly have been sort of turning it on and off as it were, they have the ability to turn it on and off. And I tell you, there were some games last year that the chiefs lost because they just didn't have it. The Colts game, the Texans game, the Titans game. And this year, the only time the chiefs lost was a fluke win by the Raiders and a game where they didn't play their starters. I I just think, regardless of what 32 in the Raiders game, like exactly, you know, they still, they just happened to give up 40 because of a, a bad, yeah, a fluke. Yeah. I mean, Derek Carr's greatest game of his entire life. I I think, yeah, I, I think the 2020 chiefs are so good that they don't have to be good all the time. And I don't know that the 2019 chiefs were quite on that level. I think they reached it kind of in, in the playoffs, obviously, because they, spotted people leads all the time and then they were coming yeah. back but i i would take the 2020 chiefs as well we have another question here that's going to kind of lead us into our final segment this is from at password is taco our guy derek too wicked long time first time we appreciate the question derek 
Question for the podcast. How do you think the narrative of this Super Bowl stacks up to last year's? I have my ideas, but I want to hear yours. Well, Derek, boy, we got a good segment here for you. We're going to plow through 10 narratives. We're going to do them draft style. And we've been talking about these narratives since Sunday, Taylor. We've been talking about them. We've been marinating on them. We have takes. I'm going to kick it off. Who has the first pick? I have the first pick. Is it me? Is it me? Do I get to go first? Uh, I'll give you the first pick. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. You're you're chomping at the bit here. Sure. Yep. I am. The, The number one juiciest narrative in this game by far, in my opinion, although there are several contenders is the quarterback legacy. What I mean by that is Mahomes versus Brady. So not only are they tied all time head to head, two to two, Brady won the first two Mahomes won the last two. Is that yeah. Mahomes won the last two. Brady is one and oh in the playoffs. Obviously he beat Patrick Mahomes in the 2018 AFC championship game. He's 43 years old. He plays in the NFC. The Chiefs do not play them next year. They they would not play him in the regular season unless it was a special 17th game or they were playing the NFC South, which they won't do again for another three years. Tom Brady is probably not going to play Patrick Mahomes again unless it is in another Super Bowl, maybe next year. Tom Brady has played in 18% of all Super Bowls, which is obviously just completely outrageous. He's trying to become the oldest quarterback ever to win the Super Bowl. He would become the first quarterback to uh, win it in both conferences. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. Because yes, he would be the first one to win it in both conferences. He'd be the first quarterback to win in a home Super Bowl. Obviously he's trying to get a seventh ring, which is obviously already a record. He's, he's already two ahead of Montana. You know, he's trying to prove that it was him and not Belichick all along. I, there's a lot going on on the Brady side of things. Um, How about one more ring than Michael Jordan? Yeah, sure. That's kind of a, yeah, that's, that's an interesting one for sure. I've heard a lot of Brady Jordan cross sport comparison. Six rings, you know, starts there. Yeah, it does. And it's a, it's obviously, it's a completely different sport, but you know, we're talking about the legacy of greatest American sportsman for Tom Brady. I mean, I feel like that's, what's kind of on the line for him now for Patrick, obviously he is the 21st quarterback in NFL history to start two or more Super Bowls to start two or more Super Bowls. He's trying to become the 13th quarterback to win two plus Super Bowls. And those quarterbacks are Brady, Montana, Terry Bradshaw, Troy Aikman, Eli and Peyton Manning, who each won two, uh, Plunkett, Starr, Roethlisberger, Greasy, Staubach, and Jan Elway. Mark him off your bingo cards. Yes, he has been mentioned. The horse face himself. Of the other 20 quarterbacks who have two-plus Super Bowl starts, 12 of them are in the Hall of Fame. Two of them are retired and not eligible yet, which are the Mannings. I actually think Peyton is eligible this year and obviously will get in whenever he's eligible. Three of them are active, and three of them are out of the Hall of Fame. So Joe Theismann, uh, Craig Morton, and Jim Plunkett are not in the Hall of Fame despite uh, the two-plus Super Bowl starts. But if Pat wins, he's 2-0 and in the Super Bowl at age 25. He's the youngest ever to win two ahead of Tom Brady, who won his second ring at, I believe, 26. Mm-hmm. He beats Tom Brady. He slays the goat. And frankly, Taylor, because this is probably the last time the two of them play, this is like the tiebreaker. And yeah. if he beats him in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady drops to 6-4 and four in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes goes to 2-0. and mm-hmm. And the odds of him catching Brady, if he starts off 2-0 and and Brady is 6-4, and four, 
I mean, the odds are are good. Like I would bet on that. I would bet yeah. a lot of money on him getting to six or seven. Conversely, if Brady beats him, there is always going to be a subsection of the population. Even if Mahomes goes out and wins eight rings and Brady has seven, the fact that Mahomes loses this one, if he does, people will always say Tom Brady was better than Patrick Mahomes. Well, and Tom Brady would have gotten two rings off of beating Patrick Mahomes because yes. obviously the 2018 AFC championship game was right. one step away from. The, so, I mean, it's a, it's monumental for so many reasons, but number one is just going to be their head to head record. It's going to yes. be three to two for whoever wins this one. This is the most important game, you know, regardless of if it's the fifth one, this is the Super Bowl. This is the only, so That's it's, right. it's such a, a tiebreaker. It's such a tiebreaker that if Brady were to win this, it's the ultimate tiebreaker. And if Brady were to win this, Honestly, like, you know, you and I are two of the biggest Mahomes guys in the world. As yeah, everyone, I can't even believe that you're going to say this, but and, I know what you're going to say, and I can't right, disagree with it. Right. If if Brady beats him here, I don't think it's possible to catch him. I, I don't think Mahomes can do anything outside of winning 10 Super Bowls. And, yes, you know, agree. outside of absolutely lapping Tom Brady, who has already lapped NFL history. And, you know, if he doesn't do that, there's just no catching him. There's just none. And he has twice as many playoff wins as any other quarterback. <laughs> yes, he does. He, he is 33 and 11 in the playoffs. And the next highest is 17 wins. And it and that's 17 and 14, I think, or 17 and 15. I mean, no one has gone three and one for 30 for 44 games. I mean, it's just so. So Brady's got the. You know, a lot of people always do the divide his career in half and he has two Hall of Fame careers. And a lot of people argue that those two Hall of Fame careers from 2001 to 2010 and from 2011 to now are the first and second best careers of all time. And yes. and, and it's Gretzky stuff. I mean, you absolutely can't argue with how much he has lapped the field as far as accomplishments go. Now, what Mahomes has going for him that Brady's never had is the Marino, the, the awe, the, the being yes. the best at playing quarterback. So, so while Brady's always had the wins, he's always had the team wins. He's always had the Super Bowls, the stuff that you need coaches and you need the other players and you need all that stuff. Mahomes has the highlight reels. He has the, the it factor. And that's where if Mahomes can get close to him in Super Bowls and not have this lingering losing two of them head to head against him and all that stuff. Then I think it's pretty doable. Even if he doesn't get six, if yeah, he's got I agree. five, I mean, if he gets five and he beats Brady in this one and Brady yeah. ends up with six, I think you have a very legitimate conversation for sure. So that's all a long way of saying quarterback legacy, easily the slam dunk number one draft pick here for the narratives. That's yeah. A, we're probably going to be talking about this some more next week, just because it's so, I certainly will. I mean, it <laughs> yeah. just, it's, it's by far the dominant narrative of the Super Bowl. That's my pick at number one, Taylor, you get two in a row here. So pick some juicy narratives for us. To talk so about. number two, I am going to go with, this is the biggest game in NFL history. And wow. Okay. And there are a couple factors here. Uh, we have talked about one of the main ones, which is the quarterback legacy. The fact that it's Brady v. Mahomes. But it's also so much more than that. It's also a, a passing of the torch symbolically from Brady's Patriots, even though it's Brady's Bucks. It's still okay. the ghost of Brady's Patriots that, that's on the other side of this. I mean, it's Brady. He, he represents everything that they've accomplished. And 
if the Chiefs take this torch and if they win their second consecutive Super Bowl and they've now gone to three straight, you know, conference championships and all that stuff, they represent a changing of the guard in a way that that is turning the direction of the NFL. And it's something that if it doesn't happen and if Brady wins and he knocks the Chiefs down and the Chiefs will now have gone three full years of having the best team in the NFL and have one Super Bowl to show for it, it, it sets them back. It sets them back at, on their march towards a dynasty and towards the, the next page in the NFL history book and that type of stuff. And we'll get into um, in a little bit what it means for Andy Reid and, and the head coaches, but it's just the big picture of Chiefs versus Bucks here is there has never been a game in NFL history with more import, with more impact, with more at stake than this Super Bowl at this time with these teams. So you're essentially taking all the other narratives and you're drafting them at second overall. That's a shrewd thing. <laughs> you're just you're <laughs> basically just saying there's a lot of important stuff going on in this game. So this game is important and that in itself is a narrative. I actually respect the hustle there. <laughs> I, I agree with you. Like, I mean, this is a and as we go through the rest of this draft and talk about some of the the narratives, when you wrap them all up in a bundle, this is a monumental game. And I think it is it can't really be overstated. Like if you look back at 2019, which actually was the prompt that we got for this discussion from yeah. uh, from Derek, this game has so many more narratives than 2019. I mean, not that 2019 didn't have some juicy stuff. Sure. You know, the Chiefs were going for their first Super Bowl in 50 years, which is monumentally important to us as fans. But like to the rest of the NFL, who cares? I, yeah. I mean, people, it wasn't like... The Chiefs were playoff choke artists before last yes, year. Yes, it I wasn't mean, I, a national story that like rewrites the history of the nfl and like freaking jimmy g and the 49ers yeah exactly. they're as forgettable of a super bowl participant as you can have i agree and this game is completely different in that regard like there is there is so much at stake so tell me what you're picking with number three what oh. what narrative are you running running into number three also i do want to mention since we've already mentioned the quarterbacks head-to-head -head, this is the first time in nfl history that the two defending right. super bowl champion quarterbacks will face off so not That's just right. not just quarterbacks with super bowl rings but the last two to do it in 28 2019 crazy. And 2020 super crazy uh number three i think i'm going to go with the andy reed story and what it means for him, I don't really um, – Bruce Arians, you know, it's his first Super Bowl appearance uh, as a head coach and, and all that stuff. Um, I don't really think it does much. I, tons of coaches have won one ring, and really Arians doesn't have the type of resume that I think this is going to set him on some sort of, you know, Hall he's, not getting of, he's not getting out of the hall. Exactly, game. unless he yeah. rips off a bunch of them or whatever. But, no, not based on this. But, not based on but this one. But Andy – has taken the two or has taken a massive leap at this time last year and he's yeah, about to take year. exactly and is about to take an even greater leap with this one and that's the difference between zero rings to one and from one rings to two because almost everybody has zero rings a a pretty large group of coaches and players and all that stuff have one ring but once you start getting to multiple rings that yes. list becomes so elite and so narrow and and such a, a a club to be in that Andy's already piled up uh, a lot of, for lack of a better term, longevity type of coaching. You know, he's he's won a ton of games. He's been around for a while. He's he's had obviously a tremendous impact on 
the other coaching trees and on, on the way that the game is called and designed and all that stuff. He has so many fingerprints all across the NFL, maybe the most influential head coach, you know, I don't know how to put a time frame on that, but in a long time. Yes. Um, but the rings, everyone, it's all about the rings. It always has been, or always will be. And one ring's great, but tons of coaches out there have one ring. To, for him to get a second and to get a second back to back and to get a second against Tom Brady and to get, you know, all of those types of accomplishments is going to set him in a tier that I believe is going to be within Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Don Shula. I think that's really probably the, the it. And you might be able to throw in, you know, I guess Curly Lambeau or someone, one of the guys before. Bill Walsh. Bill yeah. Walsh, yeah, right, yeah. right. But, I mean, on the Mount Rushmore of NFL head coaches, this He's etches Andy's it. face in there. This this yep. doesn't. That, that locks it in. And he just has so much at stake here. And it's just a lot of um, – it's just a lot. It's a lot for him. And I really, really hope he gets it. And that's, that's going to be my pick at number three. I like it. Uh, just to, to put some numbers to that thought, he's looking to become the 14th coach in NFL history with multiple Super Bowl rings. And there are 10 coaches with exactly two. So if he gets the second one, not only does it put him in elite territory, I mean, we're talking about 14 guys ever that have won multiple Super Bowls as a coach. He's also then placing himself you know, within the next couple of years on his current contract, which runs until he's what 66, I think mm -hmm. uh, he's also putting himself in a position to win his third ring. And man, if you win a third title, there have been five guys in NFL history that have done that uh, or four or four other guys, right. four guys that have he done it. He fifth. would be the fifth Belichick, Chuck Noll, Joe Gibbs, and Bill Walsh. Those are the guys. Don Shula has two, and he's obviously most all time in wins. Um, you mentioned him. Mm -hmm. Andy is also currently uh, fourth all-time in playoff wins. He has 17 playoff wins. He's tied with Joe Gibbs. Uh, Don Shula's at 19, so Andy can get to within one win of Don Shula's playoff mark. And that's a crazy and, given how many games they play now in the playoffs. I mean, Shula yeah. used to just go to AFC Championship game, Super Bowl. Like it right. just, yep. And he it still is. piled up 19 of them. I mean, that's just yep. wild. It is wild. And obviously, like you said, some of that, some of that is in a factor of the era. Obviously there's more playoff games now, but Andy is 17 and 14 in the playoffs. He's six all time in regular season wins. He's going to the hall of fame, but I agree with you this game, a second Super Bowl ring would, would tremendously impact his legacy. So I, that's a good pick. I like that. What I'm going to go with for my second pick number four overall is the narrative of what a third Super Bowl ring would mean for the Chiefs. And this is it. kind of more of a local narrative. This isn't so much a national story, but this is a huge, this, the stakes, the stakes are high. They're, we can't emphasize it enough. Right. Listen, a third this Super game Bowl is ring, massive guys. It is a third Super Bowl ring for this franchise would be, would be franchise altering. It would change the fortunes of this franchise. Now winning a Super Bowl for the first time in 50 years, getting that second ring, that's fantastic. A lot of the same stuff that applies for quarterbacks and head coaches applies here for the franchise as well. But I'm going to tell you, Taylor, the reason the third ring is incredibly important here is that there are two other teams in the AFC West that have three Super Bowl championships, mm. the Oakland slash Las Vegas Raiders and the Denver Broncos. And those two teams are key 
because for the last 50 years, <laughs> our division rivals, who, by the way, we totally own, the Chiefs totally. are 67 and 54 against the Broncos all time. They are 66, 53 and two against the Raiders all time. They have always been able to say, well, we have three championships. And last year they said, but you have one and you haven't won one in 50 years. Well, now the last two parts of that have gone away. We just won one. We're the defending Super Bowl champions. And we have two rings now, motherfuckers. But <laughs> if we win this one, we'll have the same number of championships as the Broncos and the Raiders. We will. The, you will never hear that argument again because I can guarantee you the Chiefs are going to win number four before either of those teams are. So They this might is win number four zone. before either of those teams make the playoffs. Yeah, I, yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, I would I would put money on that. I think there's a good chance of that happening. So within the span of essentially one calendar year, we're coming up on in six days, the, the one year anniversary of Super Bowl 54. In one calendar year, the Chiefs have the ability to go from, you know, like taking this incredible punishment from AFC West rival fans to just being able to just Oh. rub their faces in the dirt and to own them. i mean yeah. yeah own i mean you'll have the head-to-head record all time in wins and that's just going to continue to grow because we we have a winning record against both of those teams right and that's just going to go up it's just going to get worse the broncos have lost 11 straight to us <laughs> the raiders have won one out of the last or two out of the last 10 i think it yeah, is yeah i think it's worse yeah than that. yeah it's real yeah. bad or one out of the last 10 i don't remember exactly what it is obviously they beat us this year but the Chiefs have the chance to really take control of the AFC West for good for all time. I mean, they have a chance to not only tie this year, but in the coming years to basically put this away. They will own the the narrative will become for future generations for our children and our children's children. <laughs> the AFC West is the division of the Kansas City Chiefs in the same way that the AFC East is the division of the New England Patriots. I see what you're doing here. You are you are winning Twitter arguments. You are thinking, what is going to make my life so much easier online? And that's a really good spot to draft that at because obviously we have gotten into our fair share of scrapes and, and arguments with Raiders and Broncos fans, not really Chargers fans because, you know, zero rings and all that stuff. Right, but, zero rings. But um, this pretty much ends all arguments. This is it. That would be the once once they don't have that anymore. What do it's, they have? That's right. Nothing. What do they, they have? They have nothing because they won't have more rings. The Broncos can say that they have more uh, Lamar Hunt trophies, more <laughs> AFC championship trophies. But that's hilarious. Come on. Yeah. Like you got to go to the Super Bowl and get your ass kicked. Come on. You lost the Super Bowl five times. Who gives a shit about that? Yeah, like, literally like no one. <laughs> We're going to have as many Super Bowl rings and far fewer trips to the Super Bowl. And, oh, by the way, we're going to be racking up those trips to the Super Bowl. Um, my next pick, this will be fifth overall. We haven't even talked about the the narrative of going back-to-back. That's Oof. that's rare in the in, in NFL history. The last team to do it was the 03-04 Patriots. And, obviously, the second of those two came against the Eagles. Or I guess it actually was the – was it the first – that the, the, the fact that the NFL season, the fact that the NFL season is split for around two years, yeah, yeah, just I, I mean, it throws me off. I don't like it. But uh, yeah, the O four Super Bowl that was played in two thousand five was Eagles Patriots. So they beat the Panthers the first, yes, the first of those two. Okay, yes, yeah. So the Chiefs are looking to become the first team to go back to back in almost two decades. I mean, we're, we're coming up on 15, 16 years since that mm-hmm. happened. And this is kind of a crazy 
it's crazy that we're talking about this because we've been talking about it since they won the Super Bowl a year ago. Run it back. Literally the the night that they won the Super Bowl and in the parade, you know, there was already I don't know if they had come up with run it back already. But Andy Reid stood, you know, on the steps of Union Station and said, let's come back here next year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's always a theme. I'm sure that's a theme every time a team wins the Super Bowl. I'm sure that they all say, let's run it back. Let's do it again. Let's win it again next year. Except this team is actually in a position to do it, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to make it back to the Super Bowl. They, that's a that's an old NFL cliche, but it's something that has rung true. It's just there's a, there's a combination of factors. Number one, it's a little bit of complacency among the players. I don't know how valid that is, but it's definitely um, a prevailing thought. Number two is that championship teams usually don't stick together. They usually can't put it all put all the pieces back in place. There's contracts that expire. There are guys that want to go on and get paid from another team because of their Super Bowl run. There are coaches that get hired off and go on to other jobs. There's a lot of continuity issues with winning the Super Bowl. And then finally, there's the target on your back. There's the fact that once you're the champs, man, everybody's coming for you. Every every single game they're saying, "All right, we're, we're facing the champs. This is a big barometer for us. This is a big test to see how good we really are. We got to really give them everything we've got. And the Chiefs took that every week, week in, week out. They took the best punch that the other team could give them, and they still made it back to the exact same spot. So, you know, kudos to them for being focused and being driven enough to make it back. There's obviously the final hurdle to go, but um, back-to-back is very, very rare. It's something that only four other franchises have done before with the Steelers and the Cowboys and the Patriots and the Dolphins did it also. Yep. Um, and it's just, it's, it's football royalty. It's the signs of a dynasty. You know, you can't have a dynasty if you don't go back to back. That's just, you can't win two out of five or whatever and call yourself a dynasty. You've got to string them together. And that's just a, it's, it's very big for the, the NFL history books here if the chiefs pull that off. So I like that pick a lot. Um, it's something that I know the chiefs have focused on as a team for a whole year. And hopefully the focus will let them lock in for one more week. Uh, so that was number five. So at number six, I'm going to do the old, uh, the old Gronk Kelsey debate. And mm. there's Ooh, really... I like this one. This is great. I can't believe that this is the sixth pick. This is <laughs> well, that a, shows a, how deep this, this is a rich narrative yeah, game. It is. So there's a lot that ties Gronk and Kelsey together. Um, they they are giant monster men that are also kind of goofballs and kind of loud, outspoken, dancey type of fun guys. And they're also two of probably the three best tight ends in NFL history. And where Gronk has the edge is on starting his career. So Gronk was able to start with the Patriots at the ripe young age of 21 and his rookie year at 21. And for the next four seasons, 21, 22, 23, and 24, he piled up the numbers. He had 50 games, 3,255 receiving yards, 226 receptions and 42 touchdowns in four years. So he averaged over 10 touchdowns per regular season for the first four years of his career, which is not only a tremendous start to his career, but he matches Kelsey on the other side who did not start a game, play a game until he was 25. So 
So yeah, so age 21 through 24, obviously Gronk had one of the greatest starts of the career of all time and Kelsey wasn't playing. But let me tell you their numbers since their age 25. Oh, please do. So this is, they're both 31. They're both within 100 days of each other. Um, So this is same age, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, seven years. Kelsey has played in 30 more games than Gronk. That is Gronk's injury history, plus he retired for a year, but he was beat up a lot. And so he missed 30 games over those seven years. Kelsey at 111, Gronk at 81, which means the reception numbers, Kelsey has 612 catches and Gronk was only at 340 in 30 fewer games. He has about half the catches. Um, That's crazy. And then yards Gronk 5,229, pretty good. Kelsey 7,881, including all the stuff we've talked about with the consecutive years of a thousand yards and, and number of years of a thousand yards and all the stuff that Kelsey's done over that stretch and touchdown numbers since they were 25, Kelsey 48, Gronk 44. So all that's to say that since Kelsey came into the league and since he and Gronk were the same age at that point, he's been a better tight end than him. He's absolutely without even a doubt been a better tight end than him and yeah. been the best, best tight end in NFL history since he entered the league or in the NFL since he entered the league. Really the only debate there is if you want to, and you, you should, but if you want to count Gronk's first four years against Kelsey now, or if you want to just talk about their careers and, and let's face it, Gronk ain't going to be around very much longer. He already retired once. He's already beat up. He's already, you know, as soon as Brady steps away, he's not going to stick around on Tampa Bay or go back to New England without Brady or any of that stuff. He's walking away. So Kelsey, on the other hand, who takes great care of his body, who hasn't missed a game since his fresh or since his uh, rookie year, he's clearly built to survive and to thrive for a long time in the NFL. He's going to be late thirties easily by the time he walks away. So this, this battle between Gronk and Kelsey, um, Gronk had the early age, but I think when it's all said and done, you're going to look back on both their careers and Kelsey's going to blow Gronk out of the water. Well, and I, another reason this is important, not as important as it would be with the starting quarterbacks, but Gronk also gets a big boost from what he's done in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, he, he Gronk does. has Gronk has three Super Bowl rings, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And, you know, this would be ring number two for Travis Kelsey. He'd take one away from Gronk. And we don't we don't use the rings argument for non quarterbacks as much as we do for quarterbacks, because obviously Certainly. quarterbacks, that's that's a, a hugely important part of the equation. But I mean, it matters when you're evaluating who the greatest tight end of all time is. And if it comes down to that argument, certainly Travis Kelsey beating Gronk head to head in the Super Bowl, as it were, and getting a second ring and being on the path to potentially equal Gronk's three rings. That's a big deal. In 19 postseason games, Gronk has 83 catches for 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns. And that's fine. That was in 19 games. And for Travis. Yeah, that's fine. You're right. And for Travis in 11 games, he has 73 catches for 859 yards and nine touchdowns. In, that's better. In basically half the games. So Travis definitely has been the um, the postseason dynamo of the two, at least more than Gronk has. So that's... He just needs to pile up the games and get the, get the numbers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we'll be stretching a little bit here for um, some narratives from this point on, but I did make a note, so I'll take this at – um, I guess this would be number seven that yep. uh, there, there is going to be a guarantee that walking away from this Super Bowl as a champion will either be Le'Veon Bell or Antonio <laughs> Brown. 
And I just think that's really funny from a Steelers perspective. They chased them both out of town. They kind of hate both of those players a lot. And while Le'Veon hasn't contributed as much as Antonio has, they've both been members of the offense on both of these teams. And they're both look like they're trending to be active. Neither of them were active uh, the previous week, but both seem like they are going to be full systems go for the Super Bowl. So just a little, just a little Pittsburgh dig in there for narrative number seven. Yeah, and uh, the Steelers obviously lost their first playoff game, and we're out in the first round. So uh, it's a uh, yeah, it's a tough scene for them. So I have two picks here back to back. They're going to be my last two picks, number eight and number nine overall. I'm going to go with the home Super Bowl narrative, and I'm going to wrap it into my next pick too. So you may have heard Taylor that Tampa is the first team to play the Super Bowl in its home stadium. No way. This is this is kind of one of those stories that and this is why I'm picking it this far down. I feel like it's almost a little bit overblown because there aren't that many Super Bowl cities. So it's not like the Super Bowl gets played in every NFL city. It gets played in like five or six cities on a regular basis with obviously yeah, domes both of the, and, and hot weather. That's yeah. The, both of yeah. the Florida ones and, and Arizona being ones that have, have hosted several in recent years. So, you know, I mean, in order, like the odds would favor it happening. If, if any of those teams, Florida teams or Arizona was any good, right? they haven't been really. So it's not, it's not that interesting of a story, but it is, it is the first time that it's ever happened. So it's something that I feel like is worth discussing. It's an interesting narrative. What I think is interesting, though, is in context of my ninth pick. And that's this is, the, this is a COVID Super Bowl. So this is going to be just a – it's going to be a very weird experience. Obviously, it's been a very weird year. Um, we're coming up on now, obviously, uh, you know, right after the Super Bowl, really, is when the U.S. started to see its first significant cases. And then, obviously, starting last March is when we started going into lockdowns. There's only going to be 22,000 fans at the Super Bowl, which is obviously an insanely low number. One third of those are going to be vaccinated healthcare workers whom the NFL is letting in, you know, by just for PR, I I guess. I was going to say out of the goodness of their heart to show how cool (laughs) the NFL is, but that's not why it's, it's because they, they like the, the positive publicity and they're going to leverage that when somebody in the NFL does something stupid in the off season, they're going to be like, well, we let 7,000 healthcare workers into the Super Bowl for free. Um, (laughs) You know, it just is going to be a different kind of game. And I think this is part of the reason why the home Super Bowl narrative isn't a very, interesting one because it's not like the stadium is going to be full of Tampa fans. Number one, I don't think there are 80,000 Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans to fill right. the Super Bowl, even if it was a normal year, but there's only going to be 22,000 seats there. You know, those healthcare workers, who knows how they're going to be aligned. The Super Bowl is never a super partisan crowd because it's, it's an event and it's not so much a game. Like people are go to the Super Bowl because it's the Super Bowl, not because they have a rooting interest. Now there will be fans there, obviously. And it'll be interesting to see how many Chiefs fans make this trip, but the whole lead up to the game is different than it was last year. You know, the Chiefs obviously traveled to Miami. They spent a full week in Miami last year. They did media week. They practiced there. You know, they had to do everything differently. And this year they're they're flying out the day before the game to the mm-hmm. Super Bowl which is weird. I mean, that's got to be the first time in 
in decades, if not ever, that that's going to be the case. I mean, probably back when they were playing the Super Bowl in like Loyola Stadium or whatever. They, <laughs> right, right. I doubt that they flew the teams out for two weeks in advance. <laughs> but to, since to color television, play. it's definitely been, yeah. It's it's going to be totally different, and that means media day is going to be totally different. You know, canceled. it's all going to be uh, well. I mean, they're going to do pre Super Bowl media. Just it's going to be not the, the typical. Oh uh, right, it won't be like Radio like, Row, and it won't be yeah, like all right. the parties. Yeah. And yeah, it's just a it's basically an away game for the Chiefs. Yeah, it just is another away game. Which, by the way, the Chiefs were eight and zero on the road hmm. this year. So tasty. That, that seems to bode well, but it, I think this is going to be an interesting one to kind of keep an eye on. To be honest with you, I, I like, I kept kind of checking, uh, especially when we got into the Super Bowl. Like I was expecting to hear this story come out earlier. Like this is how many people are going to be at the Super Bowl this year, and the news basically broke. Like I didn't find out how many people were going to be at the Super Bowl until like two days ago. But mm-hmm. it's a big deal. It's a, it's it's a totally different experience. Uh, we're going to definitely have to see how that affects game preparations and and how the chiefs are able to kind of overcome that strangeness yeah i I like that a lot that's a good good perspective there so i've got the 10th and final pick and i'm gonna go with the old i'm gonna go with a canceled narrative instead of okay okay yeah i like it i like it. the narrative that we are canceling is the defense wins championships Oh, yes. Let's cancel the shit out of that. Nah, bro. It no longer does. I, I get it. I get it. You're a football boomer. You're out there. You're thinking you got to have a good defense. You got to run the ball and control the clock. Nah, man. Nah, you just got to score a shit ton of points. If you score a shit ton of points, you're going to be the best team. And ever since the corpse of Peyton Manning was dragged to the Super Bowl against Carolina and the defense won there, the next four Super Bowl champions have been offense. It's been the new England Atlanta game, which is two of the better offenses of all time. And then Philly, new England, which is one of the most offensive heavy games in NFL history, regular season or postseason. It had the most yards ever. It was 41, 33 back and forth, tons of offense, no defense whatsoever that game. And then last year or 2018, you had an offensive minded new England team against a defensive minded Rams team and new England obviously put them to bed there. And then last year, Offensive-minded Kansas City, defensive-minded San Francisco, Kansas City comes out on top. And this year, you've got two really good offenses. And it's just, I'm sick of it. Don't don't tell me defense wins championships anymore. I don't know where, how that got so ingrained into the football culture. It's no longer true. Score a bunch of points, win the game. Well, not only that, but uh, this is one of the the arguments that I've always had against like snow games and cold weather games in general. general. Yeah. Why do you think they play the Super Bowl in a <laughs> dome or a warm weather environment every year? It's yeah. because nobody wants to see your football boomer, you know, 1973, you know, we're going to run the ball 50 times a game and we're going to run seven it final. two and a half yards a clip or whatever. Nobody wants to see that. Nope. People want to see scoring and that's part of the reason why the super bowl is always played in these sterile environments where we can get you know players that aren't worrying about getting hypothermia when they're on the field they can go out and play football and score the way it was designed to be played that's exactly right the way that it was designed to be played and certainly the way that the chiefs have designed football to be played i think the chiefs will hopefully drive a stake through the heart of that narrative offense is going to win championships again two years in a row and it's going to be fun